Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, just because I l- love people and, and respect that there are lots of people in the world who, for whom this season is, uh, you know, Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, you know, I'll say happy holidays, you know, to lots of my friends. But it's nice with my spiritual family here to say Merry Christmas, right? And Merry Christmas, because we worship the Christ together. We had this green and red Christmas calendar that was made out of felt that we would hang on the wall growing up. And it had 25 days on it, uh, one for each leading up to Christmas. And behind each of the numbers was actually a pocket where my mom would put a piece of candy in it for us. My favorite was the uh, like a whistle pop. I'm sure it was not my parents' favorite, but it was my favorite. Um, And each day when we woke up, we would get to take the candy out of that pocket for that designated day. And it built this sense of anticipation in us for the 25th, for, for Christmas Day. And really it was this anticipation for getting gifts more than it was for Christ's birth, right? Um, Believe it or not, uh, Christmas wasn't a religious holiday. I was a minister's kid, ironically, but it wasn't really a religious holiday for us growing up. Uh, But for me, what it was really all about as a kid was the gifts. I would get so excited. uh, I couldn't wait to find out what I was going to get on Christmas morning. I, I remember waking up late one Christmas Eve or very early Christmas morning. It was probably seven or eight. And I heard this sound in the living room. Dum, 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 swoosh. Dum, 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 swoosh. And I, I had to figure out what was happening in the living room. And I steal a glance around the table or around the corner and my dad is sitting Indian style about two feet from the TV with a control in his hand connected to the 8-bit Nintendo gaming system playing double dribble. Dum, 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 dum. And that, that was, those were the sound effects in this game, Double Dribble. Interestingly, after we started playing that game together and we started beating my dad at that game, he stopped playing uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> Interesting how that works. I think he was trying to prep up and get ready ahead of time. Uh, but that, that was the best gift I ever remember getting as a kid. I was so excited. I can't tell you how many hours of my life I wasted playing Mario Brothers on Nintendo and I loved every minute of it. The cynic in me would say that my family's Christmas practice was a little over the top consumerism. Charlie Brown would be so disappointed in us with all our commercialism. But the kid in me, however, sees this lavish gesture of love from my parents. The kind of generosity that reflected something deep and good even if it wasn't explicitly observing a religious holiday. Christmas means different things for different people. It might mean spending time with family. It might mean going into debt, shopping at the mall, seeing Christmas lights. 
being stressed out about all the random worthless gifts you have to buy for your kid's teacher or some distant relative that's coming into town for your Christmas time. Listening to your favorite holiday music for two months straight. Wanting to throw yourself out the window because somebody else has to listen to their favorite holiday Christmas music for two months straight. Giving charitably to causes that you're passionate about. Candlelight services like tonight. In the Christian lectionary, a a scripture guide that churches all over the world use for their Sunday services, there is only ever one primary gospel text. For Christmas Day, every other week of the year cycles through three different gospel readings, but not Christmas. There's only one reading, apparently because this reading gets at the heart of what Christmas is all about better than any other text. And that text is John one verses one through 14. Uh, If you want to read along with us or follow along um, in the paperback. It's page 726. What's that? John 1, verses 1 through 14. I don't know what page it is on your smartphone. You're all alone there. (laughs) Let's read this together. John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. With Him nothing was made that has been made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. As all of you probably know, there is a new baby in our family, which, by the way, is my excuse if nothing I say tonight makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, It's been quite a journey getting Julie and Charlotte home from the hospital. Julie was in the hospital on bed rest for nearly six weeks before the baby was born because of high blood pressure. And I'll say this, we couldn't have done it without our family biological and spiritual and elsewise, the meals, the child care, the prayers. What a gift. Uh, it was hard, but we made it and we made it thanks to many of you. After Charlotte came, there was this collective sigh of relief, maybe 
some of you shared in that because you shared some of this burden along with us where we were just like, we made it. We made it. Everybody's healthy. We have a new baby. We made it. Then a day after Christmas or a day after, well, it was a Christmas of sorts, day after delivery, Charlotte had some trouble with jaundice and we had to lay her under a lamp for phototherapy. But we'd done that before with Chloe. We know what that was like. We could we could do that. We could make that. Then the Saturday after Charlotte was born, I left Julie and Charlotte at the hospital to go spend some time with the kids. And I got a call from Julie in the afternoon saying that her blood pressure had shot way back up. She was taking all of her meds. And for whatever reason, they just couldn't get her blood pressure under control. And that afternoon, bless her heart, as she was sitting in that hospital bed all by herself, she got a higher reading in her blood pressure than she had ever gotten before. Uh, and she kept getting those kinds of readings. And these are the kind of readings that you get before you have a heart attack or before you have a stroke. It was really scary. I remember rushing back to the hospital and seeing Julie curled up in a ball in her hospital bed, covered by all of her blankets. And all I could see was her face and her eyes were just filled with fear and concern. And for the first time, we really began to wonder, are we going to make it? I mean, is Julie going to make it out of this? Okay. And we just sat there and cried and prayed. And all of those weeks of energy and bed rest just came to the forefront for us in that room. The only prayer I could muster in that cloud of fear was for God to come and just be there with us and help us. It's similar to what Moses asked when he met on a mountain with God in the book of Exodus. God told him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and into Canaan, where they would resettle among tribes of people who would view them as trespassers or intruders. And for good reason, Moses was overwhelmed and said to God, unless your presence goes with us when we go to this new land, don't send us there. I don't want to go there without you. Please show me your glory. And so God tells Moses that he's going to make all of his glory, all of his goodness pass in front of Moses. And while doing so, he was going to tell Moses exactly who he was on one condition. Moses would have to hide in the crack of a rock because if Moses saw God's face, he would die instantly. And so God walks by Moses while covering him. And when he passes by, he uncovers Moses and turns around. However, God does that in his glory. And he lets Moses see his backside, the backside of his glory and majesty. Now, I have no idea what that was like. Uh, This is just a very limited language we have for this deep experience that Moses has with God. But while God has turned around, he says... I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness or full of grace and truth. The very same words, maintaining love to thousands 
and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is what God tells Moses so that Moses will believe him when God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And in the rest of Moses interactions in Exodus with God on that mountain, God gives Moses these instructions for building this big tent, which they call the tabernacle, where God would come and he would live full time in his glory among his people. So they would know his presence was with them. The book of Exodus ends with God's glory filling the tabernacle, just like it did the crack in that rock that Moses stood in when God walked by. And all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, until the time that the temple is built, wherever the people of Israel go, they bring this tent, this tabernacle down. They take with them. They erect it again. God comes down and he's present with them. He lives with them. He dwells among them. These stories of Moses and Israel and the glory of God were the best way that John knew how to describe what was happening in the birth of Jesus. And so John in John one wrote the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, the word became flesh and tabernacled. Among us, he put up his tent near us. We have seen his glory as he walked by us. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth, abounding in love and faithfulness. John is telling us that there's a connection between Jesus and God. Jesus is not just another dude. He's not just a gifted teacher or a bold prophet. He's not just one of the world's great spiritual leaders. He's not just a member of humanity. He is also a member of divinity. Jesus is of the same essence as God Almighty. He is the word of God. He existed with God before he put a tent of flesh on He was an integral part of the creative process that brought the world into existence. His glory is the same caliber of glory that Moses saw when he met with God on that mountain in the middle of the desert. His character abounds in love and faithfulness. It's full of grace and truth, just like God. This is the true meaning of Christmas. In the birth of Jesus, God himself draws near to us, embodied in the person of Jesus, an impoverished Jewish construction worker from this obscure little town called Nazareth. God makes a new human tabernacle and he shows us what glory looks like in human form. And now we can even see his face. Without losing ours. Josh and I were talking about this text as we uh, prepared and planned the worship gathering. Josh said that this this story, this chapter hit on his favorite idea in all of Scripture. And the way that he put it was that this uh, this story is about God 
coming closer, about God getting closer to us and how all throughout the story of Scripture, God is trying to get closer to us first in creation and creating us. Then in the tabernacle and the temple, bringing his presence down to us. And then in the new tabernacle, in the person of Jesus. That's exactly what Christmas is all about. And that's a a great way of putting it, that it's about God seeking to get closer to us. And here's the good news. God does not seek to get closer so that he can get us, uh, so that he can punish us. For our sins or give us what we deserve. He's not like a police officer who pulls us over and walks up close to us so that he can tell us what we've done wrong. No, God is full of grace and truth. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He approaches us like a loving parent on Christmas, lavishing us with great gifts of love. In fact, John says in John chapter three, that God loves us so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him in Jesus won't perish, but will have abundant life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And the way God saves us from death and from condemnation is through the greatest act of love that anyone's ever seen. And that was by giving up his life. Through Jesus, taking death, taking condemnation that we deserve upon himself at the cross and then being raised to life again to show that God and not brokenness and not death has the last word. Take a moment to reflect. In what ways do you need God to draw closer to you right now? Where do you need God's grace and truth in your life? Whether it's a bumpy career path or a strained relationship or a sin pattern you just can't seem to shake or an illness or a disease or deeper meaning and purpose in your life, finding a companion to walk with, missing a loved one that you've lost, whatever it is, know that God wants nothing more than to be close to you. And to pour out grace and truth into your life. Yesterday, I went with my house church to serve hot chocolate at a neighborhood market in Vickery Meadow. And we met a man there named Suhai. 52 days ago, he fled from his hometown of Baghdad in Iraq. And with his wife, Nura, and his his two-year-old son, Omar. And he said that he no longer wanted to live in fear of a bomb detonating near him in a crowd of people. And so he took a very rare opportunity to flee and come to the United States. 
He left parents. He left siblings, aunts and uncles. He left everything behind to come to a new country. Suhaib shared very openly with us how hard these last two months have been for him and how he has fought a sense of deep depression in his life. And can you imagine leaving everything, leaving your extended family and picking up in a new country with a new ID, a new identity, a a new language, a new culture, everything starting completely over. At one point, I saw him break down in tears with one American woman, and I was blessed to overhear her encourage him and comfort him in his sadness. And I found myself thinking in this Christmas season, if anybody needs God to be near, Suhaib needs God to be near. Seeing that woman show kindness to Suhaib reminded me too that Christmas is not just a time to receive the grace and truth and nearness of Jesus. It is also a time to give it. It's a time to come close to others with love and faithfulness, with grace and truth in the same way God comes close to us. Reflect for a moment. Who is God calling you to draw near to with love and faithfulness in this holiday season? Who's God calling you to draw near to with love and And faithfulness in this holiday season. Father, thank you for coming close to us, for pouring out your grace and truth into our lives through Jesus. Help us, Father, to draw near to others with love and faithfulness in the same way you have for us. We pray in your name. Amen.